This podcast would like to acknowledge that whilst we come together today in an online setting from all over Australia, our feet are firmly planted on the beautiful Aboriginal land that unites us, with thanks to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, both past, present and emerging. Yo, this is episode five of the MindFit podcast. I am your host, Blaze Grinner, joined today by Adam Stanecki. He is known worldwide as the Breath Geek. Yes, he is a breathing expert and coach, so this is gonna be a masterclass. Go grab a pen, go grab some paper, because this man helps people develop pristine health, wellness, and performance by creating optimal breathing habits. Adam works with people from all walks of life to treat asthma, to reduce stress and anxiety, sleep better, boost performance, and overcome emotional blocks. I am super excited to learn, so let's get straight into it. Let's welcome Adam into the podcast. All right, here we are, episode five with none other than Mr. Adam Stanecki. Is that how I pronounce your name? Perfect, mate. We won't get into the Polish pronunciation because it'll just make people's heads explode. Bro, I used to get so, like Blaze, B-L-A-S-E. I get called Blouse, Blase. There was a there's a female gladiator called Blaze growing up, man. Oh, yeah, there I was. Got, there was, man. I I had it. I got I got got it from all fronts until until women thought it was hot. Then the dudes oh. left me alone. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so uh-huh. yeah, the the breath geek. Um, yeah, where did where did that come from? Known well known as the breast geek. Where did where did the geek? Uh, well, it's from? a bit of it's a bit of. Um, poking fun at myself i think that's important right and and i do geek out about it but people say oh you do breath work breath stuff and i'm like how long have you got yeah man exactly what i just said to you off, off air i'm like oh i can't wait this is going to be like a master class man i'm going to sit here and learn um and so the first i think the first thing that i'd love to ask you is that um is around the breath because it is the most powerful free tool that we have Yet I feel as humans, we're only accessing like this much of like that much potential. And so for the listeners that don't have the video, like it was really small versus really big. Um, so uh, <laughs> got to remember sometimes it's radio. Um, yeah. So would you like to fill me in, fill the listeners in about what is breath work? Ooh. That's a that's a big one to start with. L- yeah. Let me take a step back, and I, uh, because you talked about it being like one of the most powerful tools we've got that we don't really tap into, and there's a reason for that. It's because breathing happens autonomically; it's automatic. If you if you were to fall over, if you fainted, if you knocked yourself out, your body will breathe. You don't have to think about it. So we take it for granted more so than something like what we eat. Like we think a little bit more about what we eat for the most part. It's not true for everyone. There's yeah, no yeah. absolutes really, are there? Uh, but when it comes to breathing, I talk to people all the time and say, dude, I can breathe. I've been doing it all my life. And that's, that's, like, that's the level they're at. They're going to stay at that level. That's cool. That reminds me of like when you're driving a car. So you're driving on the highway and the next thing you're like, oh, fuck, how do I just get that 10 kilometers? Just yep. that the autopilot happens. It's like, oh. I can't even remember where I just drove. I must have been daydreaming. Same thing with the breath. It just happens. Yeah. The, the driving thing's really interesting. I mean, when I used to do hypnotherapy, we talk about that a lot because you're actually fairly safe when you do that. As long as you don't check out completely, like your subconscious that's running whatever it's running is going to keep you safe while you drive. To a certain extent, it's similar with autonomic breathing. Your body will do what it needs to to keep you alive. So my question sort of started to become, but is that optimal? And then what else can we explore? Because my background's like severe asthma as a child. 
Like, so I'm intimately involved with breathing. <laughs> it's a yep. big thing. I, it didn't come easy for me when I was a kid. Like, I tried to check out a couple of times before I reached double figures, freaked my parents out, turned blue on the lounge room floor, you know, like went through some heavy shit, right? And then you don't take it for granted. When you can't breathe, you don't take it for granted. Or when you struggle to breathe, you don't take it for granted. So if there's any asthmatics listening there, like truth. Yeah. The only thing that I could actually, like as you're saying that, the only times I could like actually have a direct experience is the times I got winded. And that was like maybe sporadic, maybe once or twice a year as a kid. But how often was that those asthma? And is that the same feeling of like just like, or is it that bad or is it that constricted? It's similar. Oh, it's one of the, it's like the Thai t-shirt, right? Same, same, but different. Or the Bali t-shirt, same, same, but different. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's true in so far as you know it should be different. You know you should be able to get airy. I don't even know if should's the right word, but you know it's not right. Like this, this ain't normal. This ain't not, like I'm struggling to do something that should be a lot easier than this. Um, the winding one is probably the the most similar experience someone who doesn't have asthma or COPD or some other breathing dysfunction in terms of understanding it because that's trying to take a breath and they're not being able to get it in until the spasm, the muscle relaxes. So with asthma, right, it's a restriction in the airways. You, you can't get the air in or out. Or you feel like you can't get enough of it. It's probably a more correct way of saying it. Yeah. So, you know, it took me till I was 40-something to learn out that it's more about the right amount of breath rather than not getting breath in. You know, understanding that from a scientific perspective rather than just panicking the whole time because I feel like I'm breathless. I feel like I can't breathe. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, and so the, the little bit that I know about the breath uh, is when that panic happens, anxiety happens, and this is where a lot of us, um, before we actually learn about breathing, we, we, the breath is only really going to the lungs and it's not, not going all the way down. Hi really high that really short shallow breath would you like to talk a little bit more into the science of that and why it's important to actually go past the lungs because um, that was really interesting because when i when, maybe it was only five years ago i learned this and i'm like oh i thought the lungs was there that's where you take the breath and it was like you actually know take down into the diaphragm down towards well it's not the belly but the reference point of the belly but yeah, yeah could yeah. you um in, in enlighten us so what we're getting into now is like part of where I start people, which is biomechanics. You know, similar to moving properly. Like this is how you do a push-up in a correct way to build the most muscle and the most strength and not hurt yourself. Everyone can do push-ups, but who can do push-ups really well? Everyone can breathe, but who can breathe really well? So a really interesting way to conceive of it is to think of someone who's having a panic attack or is stressed out or is scared. Like everyone's got a picture in their head of what that kind of breathing looks like. And then picture the monk, you know, in the Himalayas, just relaxed and hardly breathing. Like they don't make a sound, their body's not moving, they're getting enough air, everything's cool. Like they're calm, so calm, like properly calm in the body, calm in the mind, calm in the spirit. So when you're agitated or when you're not breathing, let's say optimally, then you sort of create this loop that feeds on itself. The way you're breathing makes you more stressed and more anxious, and the more stressed and more anxious you get, it starts to feed into the, the way you're breathing. So it, it's, problem, it's problematic on a number of levels. First of all, you're not breathing deep enough. So let's start there because that's, that's exactly what we're talking about, like this, this upper chest breathing. 
it's inefficient and it's ineffective because the, the air that you breathe in is not being drawn down to the bottom of the lungs and that's where the gas exchange happens. So if we're breathing up here, we're not getting the air into our lungs and the oxygen into the blood and the carbon dioxide out of the blood. So you feel like you need to breathe more because it didn't work. It hasn't actually done its job. And faster, harder. Exactly. And then that feeds on itself again. And you see this with like uh, hyperventilation syndrome. It happens to asthmatics all the time. Speaking of asthmatics, if you guys can see, so this is... Hello, darling. Is this the money? Ah, so this little fellow, for guys that can see, this is Oak. This is uh, our middle child. And at the moment, he's just three. So they don't diagnose kids under the age of four with asthma. Um, but he definitely has some respiratory uh, issues every now and again and hyperventilates. So uh, we're doing a few things with uh, teaching him how to breathe and regulate himself. Um, so thank you for coming in and joining our podcast, darling. Would you like to go back out with mummy, please? Thank Perfect you, timing. Could you shut the door for a please? Thank you, sweetheart. Beautiful. Thank you That's for the It was. It, it was. So we could we could jump track here, right? We could really yeah. quickly talk about kids and breathing dysfunction, whether it's diagnosed or not. Yeah, love to. So Here's, here's the best thing any parent could do, and I think if my mum and dad knew this, it would have saved me. Do your best to keep your kid's mouth shut. Simple as that. Simple as that. Now, what that does is because their, their skull, their airways, everything's still developing. It's going, it's going to continue developing for a long time. The nasal airways will basically collapse on themselves if they're not used. So if uh, you could have a look at people who've had tracheotomy surgery, and they've done this before, like the air comes in here in the throat. I'm pointing to my throat, everyone who's listening. <laughs> Just under the Adam's apple. Cut a hole there, the air goes in, straighten in and out of the lungs. For some people, you need to do that, like, um, you know, all the different problems that can happen in the top part of the airway. And the, the nasal cavity just collapses on itself. If you don't use it, you lose it. So for kids who maybe they've got some nasal congestion, get into the habit of breathing through their mouths. They often walk around with their mouths open because uh, there's no conscious sort of attachment to how they're breathing. So for the parents, just paying attention to what the kids are doing, recommending that their lips stay shut, and often that can just be a little signal with your own finger, right, just to touch the lips because their lips only need to touch. Then they have to breathe through their nose. Yeah, And if they can't, they'll tell you. And then you've got more information for the next little part. It's um, interesting you say that because uh, it, like just blowing the, blowing the nose and just having the neural pathway to be able to do that. And so just because what you've just said is something, I literally just wrote it down in red, mouth breathing and sleep when you started talking. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so to help Oak, who's three, to realise how to, like, with the nose, we'd put a ping pong ball on the table and he'd have to blow it with his nose and move it. Awesome. So he could actually get that, that muscle memory of, like, oh, this is what it looks like. And then so he can go one way, but now he's got to do it the other way. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And then um, we do this one with the, the five, the, the counting of, with the five, with the fingers up and down, so breathing in, 
And so if you guys, if you guys are listening, so I'm just following my hand up my thumb, so breathing in and then breathing out, especially when he's in those moments of panic and anxiety, and he'll say to us, Daddy, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. As, and so he's telling himself that he can't, and then it just it escalates like you're saying. Um, so, yeah, for just with all of our kids, we, we uh, they're sponges, man. So we, all the breath work that I do in the mornings, they just sit on my lap and they're watching me do it, and then they're getting intrigued. So I know that when I've been pushing them to do it, because they're only like five, three, and two, they don't want to do it. But then watching me do it, I'm like, what are you doing, Daddy? i tell you after. Just try, it with a tw- try with a 12-year-old who's technically asthmatic. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. my daughter, God love her. I love it a bit. She's such a strong personality and she's going to do it her way. I'm like, you've got the guy in, in the lounge room waiting for you to come down and say, hey, dad, what do, I, what do I do about the fact that I feel a little bit breathless now? How long have you got, darling? So that's, that's quite funny. Um, but yeah, modeling it is so important. And, and so the interesting thing is, right, let's, let's, let's join Oak with his mouth open to deep breathing. So when he closes his mouth, when anyone closes the mouth, it requires more effort in your body to breathe because the orifice that the air comes in is smaller. So you recruit the diaphragm, which is the muscle that drives breathing, or you recruit it more. For those that don't know, where's the diaphragm? It's just below the lungs, bottom of the lungs. It's what pulls down to create negative air pressure in the lungs, and that draws the air in. So when we talk about belly breathing, your abdominal muscles are getting pushed out because your diaphragm muscles pushing down into your abdominal area. What's it called? So when, when we bring that deep breath, so we said deep breathing, you bring the deep breath into the belly, and so our belly is going to expand like a balloon. Why does it, when it goes the opposite way? I, I forget. Paradoxic breathing. Paradoxic, there we go. And yeah, yeah it actually goes the other way. It what does. causes that? Is that is that us consciously like trying to do it and we're we're fucking it up or like or is that- honestly don't know what the why is? I was in the middle of a breath coaching session with someone recently showing showing a really advanced pranayama technique. Yep, breathing really fast, which I don't do with many people because most of it's calming down. This was an exciting breath for purpose, and then I stopped and I said, "Let's start that again." I've everything's gone haywire. I'm breathing paradoxically at the moment. And what does that mean? I'm like, well, I'm breathing in and my chest is coming up and my belly's going in. And that's all asked about. And I I was sat there. I was was sat there for minutes trying to work out what had happened in my uh, biomechanics for that to happen. I I know this isn't right, but my body just did something almost on autopilot. So to answer your question, I don't know. I'm still trying to work that one out. Yeah. I think what happens for people where that becomes chronic is maybe there's a misunderstanding and they feel like they need to inflate their lungs. So they do this big upper chest inflation, like the, the top of the rib cage, cage is pulling out, and then that becomes habit. Yep. So, yep. and again, I like to keep things as simple as I can. So if you want to, let's say, repair that or reverse that, shut your mouth so that that big muscle under the lungs, below the ribs, can start to pull down again. And so yep. you're creating patterns and then neural pathways and habits to almost reformat the habit of breathing. Yeah. The, um, the difference between mouth and uh, nasal breathing, um, I heard that nasal breathing, the oxygen will go up to the brain first before it goes back down uh, rather than the mouth. Is that like a myth? Myth. Myth? Myth. 
So it all it can only go into your lungs. Yep. It's the only way it can go into your lungs. Like there's nowhere else for the air to go. So so the really, really simple way of thinking about it is oxygen comes in with the air via the lungs, the alveoli, goes into the blood, attaches to the red blood cells, hemoglobin. Then that gets transported into the tissues. And then the opposite, like when the, when the blood comes back through the lungs, it, it ships out the carbon dioxide. That's the simplest way of talking about it. To get any, it starts to become a medical textbook and everyone yeah, starts yeah, to yeah. do, la, 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 the eyes glaze over, they put their fingers in their ears, they don't want to hear anymore. So that's, that's the basic way of looking at it. What people get confused about is like oxygen delivery to the brain is via blood. Right, so when people do like holotropic breath work, Wim Hof method, rebirthing, any type of transformational breath work, there's the misconception that that oxygenates the brain because you're breathing bigger. Yes. The absolute opposite is true. You actually become hypoxic. Less oxygen gets to your brain. You breathe off more carbon dioxide, which affects your biochemical balance, the pH of your blood, your blood vessels constrict. So part of the explanation of the wonderful journeys people go on with these breathwork events and uh, breathwork practices is that the brain is operating in a different way because there's less oxygen. And that's not to discount any of the quantum stuff, any of the spiritual stuff, anything pushing into DMT and all of that, it's, but it's part of what's happening in the body. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because people think if you breathe more, you get more oxygen in, but that's not how it works because yeah. blood saturation of oxygen remains around about the same until you start hyperventilating and then it starts to drop. Yeah, beautiful, man. Love all of that. Um, so, yeah, coming back to Oki and the, yep. the, the yeah, the, or, or anyone. Um, and so the, the, the deep benefits of nasal breathing is exactly what you said, to activate that diaphragm and to start getting more oxygenated, oxygenated blood around our system. And why, why is that important? Well, because that's what keeps you alive. Yep. If you don't get oxygen to your cells, you're done. It's simple as that. That's why breathing is the most important aspect of, of our existence. It's the only thing that keeps us tethered to being alive. So people will talk about water and food and all the other kind of stuff. But you stop breathing, you're done. Yeah. You, know, you, can, stop drink, you can stop drinking water or you can stop eating food and you can last a long time. You stop breathing, you've got minutes. It's like minutes versus days versus weeks. So minutes for breathing, unless you're superhuman, and then days for water and weeks for food. Yep. And it's really interesting, right? Most people are focused on food, getting their diet in order, getting – and then <laughs> I want to have wonderfully filtered water, which is important, don't get me wrong, and then they do nothing about the breath. But I'm like, you get, you get your breath right, let's stack the rest on top of that. So with the with – the, you've spoken about the optimal breath – and uh, getting the breath right. What is that optimal breath? Is there is it is it uh, case study by case study, or is there like a hey uh, in for four, out for four? Like, is there an optimal way for uh, us as an individual to go about our day to day that would be that optimal type of breath? Okay, so I'll talk generally on in terms of what some of the science says and what some of the empirical evidence with people who work in, in and around the buteco breathing method would suggest, which is the, the optimal breathing rate is about 10 to 12 cycles, cycle being in and out per minute, 10 to 12. So that means in breath, out breath, around about three seconds each. 
when the breath starts to get more rapid and you start to push into high teens, you're starting to move towards hyperventilation and breathing dysfunction. Now, again, harking back to what we talked about at the start, if you think about someone who's panicked, they're breathing faster. You think about someone who's calm, meditative, relaxed, they're breathing slower. And that all starts to affect how the nervous system's operating. So you actually are calmer by breathing slower. And it's really interesting because you can affect your state by changing the rate of your breathing. So one aspect of optimal breathing will be the rate that you're breathing. Then there's the depth, so the mechanics of your breathing. Again, going back to breathing deep, breathing through your nose, so you filter the air, warm the air, moisten the air, even to a certain extent start to sterilize the air. You don't get any of this when you breathe through your mouth. And so like someone who's asthmatic or coughs a lot and they're going in and out of the mouth, they will irritate the airways even more because the dry air, the unfiltered air is going through the mouth. So it's this vicious cycle. Part of what you've got to do is stop coughing, right? How do you stop coughing? That's, that's the question. So again, and this is the only way I've worked it out, right, is shut the mouth. So everyone keeps saying, Adam, you say the same thing a lot. And I'm like, well, it's good fun because I keep telling people to shut their mouth all the time, which is kind of a little bit subversive. <laughs> it gets a giggle, especially from school teachers. I did an event for school teachers and I said, I've been wanting to say this all of my life. And now I've got a room of school teachers here. I want you all to shut your mouths. Yes. Giggles everywhere. No, I'm like, serious, stop laughing. Shut your mouths. It's good for you. So, so good. And it's just an interesting conversation because I don't think there would be too many people on this planet thinking about the difference of breathing in through your mouth and breathing in through your nose and what you just mentioned around the nose being a filter system for air. It's like, well, it doesn't really look that dirty. Like, do you know what I mean? No, no it doesn't look that dirty. So, and here's an interesting thing. There was a gas discovered in uh, early 90s. It's called nitric oxide, not nitrous oxide. It's not the fast and furious, put it in your car and your car goes faster before it blows up. Nitric oxide. We still don't know very much about it. So we're talking 30 years of knowing this gas exists. The prevailing wisdom is it's produced somewhere in the nasal sinuses. It sterilizes air as it comes in, and it also helps with the delivery of oxygen into the blood. You don't get it if you breathe through your mouth. You do get it if you breathe through your nose. So it's like bonus points for breathing through your nose. And I don't even know what else we're going to find. There's probably more. But there's a reason this thing exists on our face, right? Yeah, it's, in the, it's not it's, for, it's not for good looks because no, noses in, might not be the nicest and prettiest thing that someone's got in their face. Hang sunnies off it, and that's about like yeah, like just in the middle. But, and people complain about having big noses and go and get nose jobs and all this kind of stuff. And big noses are beautiful for breathing. Like you look at uh, go and find a native person that's not ever been in the city, like out in the Amazon somewhere. Most brilliant noses. And the jaws are structured beautifully. I can guarantee if, and you wouldn't want to do this, if you cut them in half, the, the nasal cavity would be so much more superior to your person in a developed place who's been eating mushy food for a while. Yeah, that would be crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, it's a general, we're talking about generational things here. Like we've, we've led ourselves down this path where we have compromised breathing because the, the apparatus is in some ways impaired. Yeah, indeed. Look at the yeah where we were at caveman to where we are now. And with that evolution too, um, 
like especially here in Western society, if we're in this bigger, better, faster generation, it's just like go fucking go, 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 go. Uh, and there's a lot of overwhelm, I feel, that oh, people, yeah. people experience. Um, and so we, a couple of the, the show notes we're talking about was, uh, and this is something I said to you, I'm really excited when we get into the nuance of this, of the difference between um, somatic versus psychological. And so what we mean by that is like there's this overwhelm. And so a lot of the time to calm, people think we need to change the mindset and think a different way. Uh, but then there's also the somatic aspect of actually changing the nervous system. And so we really love and I'm really intrigued about this topic of discussion of like, yeah, where would you like to take this? Wow. Yeah. So this one came to me after years of coaching people and years of doing therapy with people and So people would come into the clinic with their hair on fire, like way too anxious or stressed or overwhelmed or whatever label you want to put on it or whatever label they put on it, to the point that it wouldn't matter what I said, nothing was going in. Like nothing was going in. And I came to this conclusion almost by accident that what I needed to do was just let them sit there. It might be a 55-minute session, a 50-minute session. I'd sit there for half an hour. And they would calm down and they would relax to, to a varying degree depending on what was going on. But then something opened up. There was, there was a doorway into doing the work. And you can't do that work if there's too much noise in your head, between your ears. It took me a long time. You know, for a long time, I'm putting two and two together and getting 48. and Couldn't work out what was going on. So I distilled that into exercises with the breath. So instead of having to wait half an hour with people, I'd be like, "Radio, your hair's on fire. Let's put your let's put your hair out. We will do some breathing, and the breathing could be as simple as close your mouth and breathe deeply. Because you don't breathe deeply when you're fight flight, you breathe shallow. So the mere fact that you shut your mouth and breathe through your nose will make you breathe deeper than you're already breathing, and it starts to send signals." to your body that you're calm. And then eventually your mind catches up and says, ah, oh, actually, I'm not in a fight. There's not a lion chasing me. There's a little bit of space now to think a little bit more clearly. So I, uh, I get in trouble for this every now and then because I talk about the way psychology operates where it's, it's just determined to stay between the ears all the time and analyze and uh, give ideas and try new things and practice and just add more stuff. But there's already too much stuff. So all that stuff's great. Let's do that later. Let's first get this person into a state where they can receive. And there's a number of ways you can do it. You can do it with hypnosis, depending on if someone's receptive to hypnosis. You could do it with meditation. And I just find that most people, especially if they're overwhelmed, they're probably perfectionists as well so you ask them to do a meditation and they're worried if they're doing it right or wrong which fuck bro, that was me man when i first started meditating am i doing this right <laughs> when am i getting enlightened it should have happened already i'm oh, terrible at meditating it was at this church man in brisbane and i could just hit and i get more frustrated i could hear the traffic i got because i the noise had stopped in the mind 
so that I was more hypervigilant with everything around me. So I could hear the traffic. I could hear the person breathing next to me. And so I just started getting agitated and it added to this overwhelm. I was like, fuck, I walked in here to meditate. I walked out more, more angry. It took like seven sessions, bro, before I calmed down. Yeah. yeah. And most people won't do more than two sessions. Yeah. Not realizing that there is a process, right? Yes. So they miss the whole point. But I think that's a lot in delivery as well. You know, we're, we're so far gone, and I know that sounds it sounds negative, and I don't mean it in a negative way. We're so far past sitting in a monastery with a guru or with a meditation teacher and trusting that that person can take us down a path that might take 20 years. Like that doesn't happen now. People, people won't even wait 20 minutes. They're like, I've, you've got 20 seconds. Sometimes like people making decisions in two seconds now. It's crazy. It's crazy. So there's no patience with it. And, and I suppose the big problem is there's no patience with self. So all of a sudden self-judgment comes in. I'm shit at meditating. I'm shit at everything. Why me? Why this? Why that? Right? So the chatter keeps going. So I went down that path as well when I was working with coaching and therapy and trying to just get mostly men sort of out of their own heads. And, and the only way I found that consistently worked was to give them the simplest breathing possible, but make it so simple that they couldn't get it wrong. The only thing that could happen is they'd go back up into their head, which is part of the exercise. Just notice that you went back up into your head and then return to this really simple breathing practice. And it might take half an hour for them to get it. And then they go, ah. Oh. Oh, I am doing it. I'm like, yeah, even when you lost concentration, you were still doing it. Ah, okay. So I am getting it right. Yes. Okay, what point did I ever tell you that was right or wrong? And so that's all somatic. That's all in the body. The body starts to inform the nervous system. The nervous system starts to inform the mind. There's no trickery going on. You know, like NLP is wonderful as it is. Like this bookshelf's got the original NLP texts on it. I love this stuff. But the way it's applied becomes trickery in some people's minds. So they'll do a powerful session with someone who uses NLP or any other kind of similar language patterns and it'll work for a few weeks and then when it doesn't, everything falls over and they're, they're not at square one again. They've gone deeper than square one. They've got to dig themselves back out of the hole. Yeah, man. I've got a few of those men. Oh, I've tried everything and it doesn't work. I've done all the NFL, yeah. Um, now, I just want to just go back just a little bit yep. because I dare say the listeners and myself, uh, you back again, little man. Hey, you've been a robot. Could you just close it all, please, darling? Thank you, sweetheart. Was that robot oak? It's robot oak. It is. Robot oak. Indeed. Oh, they have so much energy at that age. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, and they just want attention. Oh, attention. yeah. Attention, that's attention. So I'm not sure where wifey is right now. So thank you for the listeners. Um, I know that was a bit of an interruption. But the question I'm about to ask, I think it was on your lips as well, is you spoke about this really simple technique that you would get them to do. Mm -hmm. Are you able to share that technique? Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, when... so it's not mine. I didn't create it. Like credit where credit's due. I have no idea where it came from. It probably came from some ancient pranayama technique. I know it is pillow breathing. 
Now, if anyone's done any yoga and they understand the position Shavasana, which is a corpse pose, you start in corpse pose. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, think of anatomical position, lying on your back, palms facing up, legs do whatever they want to do. If you're lying on the, I would say on the floor is the best, not on your bed. Make it separate from sleep and sex and whatever else you use your bed for. Nice hard surface. If you need to put a bolster or a pillow under your knees, do it to relieve your lower back. Otherwise, just lie down. Get a pillow or a heavy book or a cushion, maybe a cushion, not in a square, little square pillow. Put it on your belly. Close your mouth. As you breathe in, the pillow goes up. As you breathe out, the pillow goes down. What do I do? You put your attention on the pillow. That's it. Now, some people will be listening and go, that is so simple it's not going to work. Now, we can talk for the next four hours about why it works, <laughs> and, and I can give you the layers because it starts to get quantum really quickly. But the yeah. short short is your focus becomes something that is outside of your mind and outside of your body. It is a singular object. Your only task is to follow the object. The only rule is your mouth stays shut. And then we can start to layer stuff on top of that as, as the practice progresses. What if I get distracted by my thoughts? Good. That's okay. I didn't say that was a bad thing. And didn't at any point tell you that you weren't going to be off with the fairies at some point thinking about, oh, my Lord, I forgot to buy milk. My wife's going to kill me. And, yeah. Just notice that that came up. And then what was the instruction again? Ah, focus on the pillow, focus on the cushion, focus on the book. What's, what's the object doing? It's going up and it's going down. So you're practicing a whole lot of stuff there. Acceptance, awareness, focus, concentration, resilience, dealing with your own impatience in progress. You're working with the biomechanics of your breathing. You're improving the biochemistry of your breathing at a psychophysiological, otherwise known as a mind-body connection, you're working. Your nervous system's calming down. Ding, 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 like it just keeps going. What did Adam ask me to do? Lie on my back, shut my mouth, and just be aware of a pillow rising and falling on my belly. That's incredible. That's it. Now, there'll be people listening, Blaze, that won't try it because it's too, it's too obvious, and that's okay. They won't, they won't try it. Or they'll try it trying to prove it wrong. Yep. So th- for those people, they'll eventually get it because when they stop trying to prove it wrong and they just do the work, it'll, it'll make sense. And then some people will just lie there and be really curious. That person will get it really quickly. It'll, it'll be that aha moment. Ah. Oh, hang on a moment. So I gave this to a client recently and she said, oh, I noticed this and this came up and then this came up. She had this like download while she was doing it about all of the things that are holding her back in her life and all she was doing was following the pillow go up and down. I had one man who came to me with extreme anxiety and he said, every time I do it, I get frustrated. I said, of course you do. I said, what's your primary fallback emotion? He said, frustration. And I said, well, it's anger, but it's manifesting as frustration. And he's like, oh, shit. I said, yeah, so where do you think the work is on the frustration? I said, okay, go back and lie down and 
Watch the pillow go up and down. How often? For how for how long? Just keep doing it. I want you to do it for half an hour a day. If you can do it twice a day for half an hour at a time, like it's like take two, call me in the morning, but next week really, because you need to do it for a while. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. And like, you know, like people are like, but why am I paying you for that? Like because it took years to distill all of that stuff into one simple exercise. And I went through a bunch of them. I just kept whittling them away so they could be just so simple that you can't muck it up. But also um, to have you there as well as a mirror, uh, like this man with the frustration. And I know that you're speaking to a lot of men right now. That Speaking to myself. Myself included. It's just that we're fathers, we're business owners, we're in relationships, that frustration and anger is a, really, a real thing. And so when you said to that man, sit back down, connect with the pillow, and feel frustrated, go back in and, and go do, do the work, quote unquote. What's the next process for him? When, when is it to examine the frustration, to feel it, is to notice what's going on in his body when that emotion arises? Uh, Great question. Uh, terrible answer. It depends. Yes. And it, it depends on the individual. So a couple, of, a couple of ideas. For some people, it's expanding the awareness from the object into maybe what's going on in their body. And it could be the first time that someone notices, oh, I have a pain here. Or like I'm feeling frustrated when I feel frustrated, like my neck gets tight or something like that. You know, we often hear about in, in the wellness community blockages in the body. Like people will talk about throat chakra being about your voice. And if it feels really restricted, maybe that's the energy rising to that area saying it's restricted. Maybe it's physical tension, maybe it's both. Who am I to say? Also, There's a the, lot going the on there. Body can be tells as well. Uh, Absolutely. So my hands, I know my hands go like this when I'm trying to control a situation. And I learned that from uh, the hose and the garden. So I was, I, and it was so interesting. So I had nose reconstruction. I'm out and uh, I chose the first time, did nose reconstruction and it collapsed on itself. And I was on endone and it fucking sent me sideways, that drug, bro. It's so bad. Whoa. Heavy. Heavy, man. And so there's, I got it redone and I'm like, I'm not even going to take Panadol. I'm going to meditate through this. And that was a really brave, more stubborn than brave sort of thing. And dude, it was gnarly. And I just, so it was about three days in, I'm like, I just need to get out of the house. And so I was, I was hosing the garden and just connecting with them a breath. And I just realized I'm squeezing the fucking garden hose as like it was like, I'll hang on for my dear life. I'm like, what is this? So exactly the thing I started exploring. I was like, what was I thinking about? And it was the, the pain I was trying to control. I was like, ah, so the body, like the pillow, like this, looking for the tells within the body. Now I can, sit, if my hands clench up, oh, are you trying to control this conversation? Am I trying to control this podcast where it's going? Am I trying to control my life? Whatever it is, my body's telling me before my actual mind is aware to it. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And Beautiful. so we so, have. So- yeah, there, there's the layers starting to present themselves, right? So that kind yeah. of stuff will come up for some people and all they're doing is lying in Shavasana and the pillow's moving. So my meditation teacher comes from the, um, from the Kashmir Shaivism tradition, so they're tantric in a lot of their approaches to breathing. And so anytime something comes up for me and I say, this is what's big this week, he says, so penetrate into it. Like instead of observing it, which is the more mindful way of doing the work the tantric way is like get in with it merge with it so if it's pain right instead of trying to maybe move the pain into your hand and squeeze it 
you like go into the sensation so deeply that that sensation just gets blown apart. Doesn't mean it goes away. Doesn't mean you you don't have pain anymore, but it has a different representation. The association, yeah, the association with the pain. What am I making this pain mean? Like, boom, just blows apart. Just blows apart. So that can be an emotion too. I'm angry because my 12 year old daughter didn't speak to me yesterday, right? And so I can sit, I can do do pillow breathing, but I can move into that space with the intention of investigating my anger. And then where's that anger in my body? Where am I holding that? That's one way I could look at it. The other way is just more esoteric, going into the feeling of anger and penetrating into it, maybe peeling back the onion, as as it were, right? Oh, that's where it comes from. So what's really going on for me is I feel disrespected. Yeah. I, Bang. I, yes, the, the layers, and especially with anger, such a beautifully big spectrum. And I think, uh, is it, I'll just speak from my example of my own life, uh, that it's only been the past seven years that like I go past the core emotions where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling angry. And to be able to sit with the process like this, sit with the pillow and breathe, it's like actually what's beneath the anger? And the times that I've done that, as I was like, oh, I actually feel belittled right now. I feel rejected right now, but I'm portraying it as anger and this volcano is coming up. But this little boy in me or this part of myself is like, no, I'm just feeling ridiculed or I'm belittled. And then I'm able to articulate that with my wife or my work colleagues or something a little. So just getting to know myself a little bit deeper. I think that's um, that's what the work is. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of that work gets done on the intellectual level with a lot of coaches, a lot of therapists, a lot of you know like bro science kind of stuff that's out in the men's workspace, especially. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. It's just what I see. Like, there's a lot of intellectual level, surface level stuff. And some men will grab that and run with it, and that's awesome. And it'll just go over the head of the majority, which is why I like, I hate the word, but I like the the idea of empowering an individual to create the space to have their experience. And there's not a lot of guidance as to what's going to come up, but then whatever comes up is room for discussion, whether that's with someone or by yourself. You can have your own self-inquiry. Like, like you're talking about, you could sit in whatever space and, and, and investigate what that emotion is or whatever's coming up. That word that you use of penetrate, I think that's like, because that, like to actually like penetrate, like go into that. Into like, it. Because like, that's the, like a lot of, especially with like emotions like sadness, is like, especially for men, a lot of men have avoid sadness. Like, and like it's like, I'm going the opposite way of that. But usually what I found, like, and, and anger as well, on the other side of anger, there's also been some deep sadness within my journey. Oh, yeah. And, and, but it's that sadness that my subconscious was blocking. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go penetrate that. Anger. I don't want to go look under the rug. I'm just going to keep that under there because on the other side, of that is that, like, that pain. But then feeling that pain, feeling that sadness, feeling the grief or whatever it was, that was the actual thing that I needed the most. Yeah. So all of a sudden, avoidance, it's, it's thrown out the window. Yeah. You know, and you're not even doing the, the, the cool thing now, like practicing acceptance. And again, I have no problem with that. I think it's I think it's a great practice. What if you just go in? Like with no agenda, I'm just gonna go in. And you're like, ooh, it's like balls and all, you know, like ugh, it's it's visceral. It's it's you know, like I, I think it's a very masculine activity to penetrate into. Right. And and 
you know, you can think about that in a sexual way as well. Like it is masculine to penetrate. So there is that energy. And I think that's why it's attractive to men to access that kind of work. But it does take, like, honestly, it takes some balls to get there, right? You have to have a bit of gumption to go, oh, like I'm angry. And instead of, you know, throwing my shoes against the wall and yelling at everyone around me and doing, you know, crazy expressions of anger, I'm going to turn that energy inside and penetrate inwards and find the thing. And so I love all of that work and yet I won't give that to someone until they can sit and breathe and investigate silence and stillness because until they can work the the noise down to a level, Anytime they try and penetrate into the angle, into whatever's going on, sadness or whatever it is they need to do the work on, the noise is going to get into the way and they'll bounce off onto something else. So they've got to create that space that's safe, has to be safe, because you can be safe and massively uncomfortable, but you've got to be safe. So safe, uncomfortable, silent, still. Bang. We're in it. Now where are you going to go? Like how deep do you want to go today? All the way, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Put on your big boy pants. Here we go. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your mouth. Here we go. <laughs> oh, um, that's beautiful. The um, one question I think that the listeners might have is, okay, um, I've got this frustration, I've got this anger, I've, this, this method thing seems amazing. Now sit with the pillow. How do I start to penetrate something how do i start to lean into that feeling or how do i start inquiring about this emotion or how do i start peeling back the onion layer um is there any self-inquiry questions that are like good to sit with there's any like techniques that you know of that may assist that person that would like to try this on their own um yeah definitely and the first one would be stay out of your head as much as you can so the, the, this exercise and similar exercises are all meant to be unthinking. So the exercise starts with focusing on the pillow. And then that expands to becoming aware of the pillow. They're, they're different. A focus and awareness are slightly different things. And I don't want to get into semantics here, but, you know, like focus is like you're really like effortfully paying attention. And then awareness is sort of softer and bigger and just becomes amorphous. That, that awareness as you develop, that, that can grow. And then you can, you've created yourself a space of growing awareness and perception. Then you have the opportunity to, to investigate. Now, that may be, um, here's, here's one of my favorite ways of studying it. Find an ache or a sensation in your body. Investigate that first. Where is it? Like, can you really dial into it's here? Like, it's my left leg, okay? Your left leg's a pretty big part of your body. Let's say it's a quarter of your body. Where is it on your left leg? It's my knee, okay? Is it medial, lateral, superior, inferior? Is it right in the middle? How, like, how deeply can you get into that area of your body and feel exactly where that sensation is? What's the quality of the sensation? How would you describe it? You know, is it dull? Is it sharp? Is it vibrating? Is it aching? Is it whatever? They're all words, but they, they speak to the concept. They speak to the feeling. So you do that with a physical sensation first before you go more ethereal. 
before you go into emotions because i mean how do you what is an emotion i mean we could like that's like a philosophical question <laughs> who's going to answer that one we don't have enough time blaze so then to go into something like an emotion and maybe it's got the label of anger you can do the same thing where do i feel it how do i feel it what color does it have well just investigating it so you have to become aware of it first you can't do anything with it if you're completely unconscious that it exists. 100%. Now, so cannot to, to change become, or we cannot see. No, so to become aware of it, right, you have to, you have to create the container for that work to happen in, which is why I like fill their breathing because you're just there. And then at a certain point, your, your awareness expands Yep. and you have an opportunity and you don't have to go searching for it. It'll come up. You have bang, there it is. There's your opportunity. And there's no right or wrong. This is the important part. Don't judge. There's no right or wrong. You can penetrate into that right now. Or you can say, whoa, that's, that's a big one. That's for tomorrow. I need to go and cook tea for the kids. Like, because we don't get, we're, not, we're not living in a monastery. We've, yeah. got to, we've got to go and do the real stuff as well. Like the rubber, hit, rubber hitting the road. I'm dad. I'm mum. I'm brother. I'm sister. Whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that pillow is a uh, really beautiful like physical reminder too. Um, I studied Buddhism for a few years, and so rather than the pillow, we would count. So you just use the, the counting as the single mindfulness technique. And then when monkey mind came in, or the tangents, and then you're like, holy fuck, how long did I just think about that like blow-up barbecue? <laughs> Wherever yeah. it went, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then to come back, uh, but that coming back and coming back to the pillow, it was like, oh, and like to celebrate the catch is like that's the whole point and so of this exercise is the awareness ah. to get with the mind and catching that and coming back and coming back. So there is no right or wrong. It's just no, how far and how quicker can we keep coming back to the present moment and going on that penetration or going through that process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's a beautiful exercise, the counting exercise. And the reason I stopped doing that and started doing the pillow was there's more judgment with counting. Yeah. Right. So let's say it's count to five. Count to five in, count to five out, count to five in. What do I do when I lose track of where I am? You just go back to one. Beautiful, simple thing. Almost invariably, the people I'd be teaching, it would get shitty that they'd lose their marbles at three. Yeah. So, like, okay, I've got to make this even more simple. So I actually was just doing count one, two, like one for in, two for out for a while. People would still lose track of it because it's a mental construct that, yep. they're, that, they're, that they're using. They're focusing mental energy on trying to remember and do a mental thing. I want you to witness and feel and become aware of an activity that is happening that is to do with your body, and maybe you could say it's caused by your body, but it's actually outside your body. And that's the, the, the awareness aspect of becoming aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, what- so that's why I like that more than the counting, which is not to say that the counting doesn't work. And there was always more frustration with trying to count to five. Bro, the, what you said before about focus and awareness, the difference between the two of those, um, I remember because I'd, I'd be so mentally focused on and it was like re- – and it get to a point of a, like a headache. I was just like so focused on the counting and the breath. It was pain, like literal pain. I felt yeah, pain. Yeah. And yeah. then next thing, the epiphany would happen, the aha, and it was the awareness. And it only just when you just spoke, I'm like, oh, what? And I, I was like – what it was the focus turned to awareness. What happened? Oh, I fucking let go. There you go. 
it was that Perfect. I had I the let go was the thing that went from like okay now there's this big expensive thing and now I'm the awareness of it all rather than blaze doing the focus. Beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the nervous system. All right. Um, yes, you, you've mentioned a few words. This beautiful word of calm and like how and and the the monks would be how beautiful would it be to go and just sit and meditate, man. I'm out. I'm gonna go sit on a rock. I'll see you yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday wind. I don't know. Yeah. Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the nervous system and um, because the the thing that we've been in some show notes around like the breath practice versus breath control and how to calibrate that nervous system. Why is, why is calibrating nervous system? Why is it so important? Um, yeah. Okay. So let's stay really high level because it's the easiest one to think about. And I actually like to think about it this way myself instead of getting stuck in the weeds, just contrast fight flight versus rest digest. Right. One's really active. One's really passive. One's exciting, one's relaxing. Now, let's think about where we want to be most of the time. Think, think, about, think about a lion. Everyone knows what a lion does most of the day. And they just lie in the sun. They're resting and digesting. And it's not till they've got to kill something or have a fight that they move into the active mode. We humans, on the other hand, spend more and more time in fight flight because we're stressed out about what, you know, Josie said on Friday night at the pub and are people going to like me because of this post I put on Facebook and why aren't aren't people buying my stuff and all all this kind of stuff. It it keeps you wired over into fight flight. And so then people aren't sleeping and people have got other concerns with psychology and physiology illness you know we could keep talking about what's going on there but largely if your central nervous system is always jacked and always activated there's no time for rest and recovery in your body so you see this with elite athletes who overtrain yep and they've got the stress of being on let's say multi-million dollar contracts right they've got to perform all the time and then they're famous as well Everyone wants to have a selfie with them, and all. it's just there's ne- it's never ending, right? So they're always wired. Yeah, that fittest man, the um, the CrossFit dude. I watched a doco on him, and he said like his coach said to him, "You're not going to be able to out train everyone because they're all elite athletes. The way that you're going to beat them is your rest and recovery, eight hours of sleep, have a really good relationship with your wife, and make sure that you are recovering, and then that's how you're going to beat everyone." Yep. And that's what he did. That's that is elite performance is out recovering everyone, not out training them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's amazing the number of people I will talk to and I'll say, Do you know much about how you could breathe for recovery? Nope. Do you want to learn about it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk to someone else. I'll talk to someone else who wants to. No, so so exactly, you know, let, let's not even talk about elite athletics. Just normal person. When you breathe deep, calm, you send signals to your nervous system that says shift over into rest, digest. When you breathe fast, high, erratic, powerful, boom, let's move over into fight, flight. You know, if someone's chasing you down the street with a machete, doesn't matter how you breathe. <laughs> like, worry about that later. 
because your body's going to breathe for you, get away. You're in fight flight. Your body's going to, you know, dump all the stuff it doesn't need. You might shit your pants, but you're going to be able to run really fast because adrenaline's going to hit every cell of your body and you're gone. You don't need to stay there. But when you're done, you know, in a perfect world, you'd go, wow, that was close. Go and clean your shorts and you just go and relax. It doesn't happen. Like zebras do that really well. You, know, you watch, watch a hunt, uh, National Geographic, something like that. You see a hunt. The big cats are after them. Don't get the zebra. The zebra finishes. They do a bit of a shake and they go back to eating grass. You know, they're not, they're not talking to everyone else about how close the lion got. That, that somatic release, like letting yeah. all of that trauma Ooh. go, letting it in that moment, 100%. Exactly. So there's the somatic side to things, right? Like having, having these tools that allow you to, let's say, reset your nervous system. That's not a perfect science. But when you get into breathing, the way that you breathe naturally, even if you're not doing breath control or any type of breath work, it informs your nervous system state. So when you're breathing calm, the chances are that your nervous system's calm. You can take advantage of that and so hack it, if you will. Start breathing as if you were calm and then your nervous system calms down. Switches yeah. over. Switches over. So we talked about Wim Hof method and all the other types of ones. They're a very activating breathing method. They purposefully, in a safe way, for a short period of time, put you over into fight flight. And then you flick back into rest, digest, and that's where the journey happens. Yeah. Right? So you do a bit of both. So breaths are you know, a powerful mechanism for playing with where our central nervous system is. Massive. Like people who are wide and can't get to sleep. They're doing their best to try and get to sleep. Like to sleep, your heart rate needs to be below 60 beats a minute, which requires a level of relaxation. If you're stressed and you're trying really hard, you're probably up at 70, 75 beats a minute. You're never getting to sleep. Then you're getting frustrated and stressed and it starts to go out of control. Stacking the loop happens. What can you do? I don't know. Just do, ah, pillow breathing. There you go. That calms everything down. Bang, things are coming. Does it work every time? No, but it works more often than it doesn't. Sometimes you just got to get up and write some notes and know that you're not going to sleep tonight until a little bit later. And that's okay because it happens. Maybe it's mercury or something. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The... um... There's a guided meditation I do. It's on YouTube. It's um, the mindful movement, and why I love and when I when I'm not able to sleep, uh, why I love it is because they 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 it's all about the breath. It's literally guided breath, and so it's connecting with the breath, and so you d- deep breathing first, so into the belly, and connecting with that deep breath. Then it's the deep breath and bringing up to the chest. Deep breath, bring up to the chest and feel in the neck. Deep breath up the he- neck, feel it in your feel the awareness, take it to your brain. And you cycle through that for a while. Then the next bit is now just focus on the inhale. And so only focusing on the inhale and just letting it fall away. Then the last bit is um, then focus on the exhale. Now, when they focus on the exhale, that exhale is usually going longer and there's more of an exhale than going in. And then, and just the guided, the lady voice, the beautiful voice, um, the things that she plants in the psyche of uh, you're feeling yourself slip away, allow yourself to go. Feel yourself sinking into the pillow. And I can, boom, boom, bang. And then if it goes to 30 minutes. There's only been a few times I've had to do it twice. But, yeah, just just breathing. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. But those notes, sometimes of, like, going up and write, write those notes, get it out of the head. Uh, because I've also got a tendency of, like, oh, I don't want to forget this great idea. And so I'm hanging on to it. Um, before 
Um, definitely going to ask you like when's the best time to be breathing, having routines and that kind of stuff and what you've got coming up. Um, but there's this something that I'd like to mention of when back in, back before I found meditation. So I found meditation about 11 years ago. I was really scared to sit by myself. I was really fucking terrified because this thing, and I'm pointing at my mind, would beat me up and was so vicious. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people about that, and there's a lot of men that I speak to that say the same thing. Do you? Uh, does that come up within the work that you do, that uh, people are scared to sit with their own thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm finding now because I talk about the breath that it's not as confronting as like doing inner work, inner child work, therapy self-reflection, any of those kind of things. I think a lot of the time it comes down to the way it's presented to someone. So I almost get in through the back door a lot and I say, I just want you to lie down and breathe. Next week we'll talk about what comes up and we can unpack that if you want to. Yep. Because it's it's like, what are you worried about really? You you breathe all day, every day. Yeah, shift to the focus. You already know how to do this. You already know how to do it. I don't want you to do do any crazy stuff yet. Yeah, yeah, we're not even looking at the problem. We'll do the heavy shit later. Yeah, like, love it. So, love it. and and that's when I was when I was working men's coaching and therapy. That was the one of the mistakes I made. Like I could see really quickly, this is where this person is. This is where they want to go to. This is the path. I mean, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? But I'd know where to start, and I'd give them the whole thing. Whoa, too much. You know, like just get them to a calm space where they can do the work. Yeah. I've spoken to no less than 20 people in the last couple of months who have had really bad experiences with psychologists who haven't allowed them to calm down before the work started. And again, I am not having a go at psychologists. They're an important part of our ecosystem as a society. But that experience of doing work when the body is not prepared for it and the mind is not prepared for it. It actually takes off into the wrong direction. There's, there's more to be judgmental about. There's more to be frustrated about. There's more to be angry about, sad about, all of those things. So let's just peel it all back and make it so simple that you can't fail. You know how to breathe. You've been doing it since the first moment you were born. You do it all your life. You're really good at it because you're not dead. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just put some parameters around something you're already really good at and let's see what happens because it's, stuff's going to come up. That's when we get to play. Yeah. Um, you, know the, you heard of the Centaurians, the 100 Club, people that are over the age of 100, their motto, just keep breathing. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did so- you stay alive this long? I just kept breathing. <laughs> Uh, so with breathing, we're developing um, uh, like a, a breathing practice. Is there a, a more optimal time to do it? Uh, is it in the morning as a morning routine and the night routine? Is there is no blanket rule? Uh, but when, when have you found um, a routine or breast practice the best for you or for your clients? Um, and do you have any ones? Uh, we've got the pillow breathing that we've offered all the listeners. Is there any sort of uh, techniques that you have uh, that you could offer uh, people just starting out that are can want that are interested? They want to sort of sit with the breath and be with the breath. That uh, they may have tried Wim Hof, but is there any other like 
because that's the most sort of like buzzword out there. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's a little bit like we're saying, trans- transformative rather than the awareness side of things. Uh, but yeah, yeah, is there any routines you'd like to offer? Uh, look, the piles of Wim Hof's great. I just I need to let everyone know that you have to be aware that Wim Hof is hyperventilation, so it's not appropriate for someone who's got COPD, asthma, anxiety, like because it's an exciting breath. There's nothing against it. It just has to be put in the right place. I think that's largely the biggest thing that people need to understand about breath work is you have to pick the practice that's appropriate for you right now. And I've had some amazing experiences with multiple forms of breath work, subtle, like big, powerful, uh, 300 people in a room breathing their heads off, lots of big energy in the room. So there's all there's a multitude of different ways you can go about it. So in terms of practice, in ter- as a daily practice, this is another it depends because it depends on what the person's wanting to achieve. So if someone wants to calm down, morning and night's good practice. So within an hour of bed, some kind of practice just to downregulate the nervous system, get all your sleep hygiene sorted out, allow yourself to relax into sleep. When you wake up in the morning, if you know you're going to be anxious at work, if you don't do something, like create yourself an anchor of practice in the morning, a container of practice. What those two techniques are going to be is a very individual thing. You know, I would say, obviously, pillow breathing will become one of them. It may move into something else as the person gets more advanced with their practice. But just calming breathing techniques. Honestly, people get really hung up on, but how do I breathe? Which one do I do? What do I do? And I think most people can look at a breathing practice and know, is that going to calm me down or is it going to excite me? Yeah. For the most part, people know. It's like, is the apple more healthy than the fries? Uh, you know, you know which one's more healthy, yep. right? So people, people have an innate understanding of what to do. If people want to do something a bit more specific, like they've got athletic performance that they want to do, then the activities they would do for that would probably be morning and afternoon in and around whatever athletic practice they have and not at night because you don't want to be wide when you go to bed because, again, recovery. Someone who is having situations of panic or stress at work, there's nothing stopping an intermittent practice through the day. Like I teach a circuit breaker that's like a 10-second practice, and if you've got an anchor back to a calm place, you can calm yourself like that. Yeah. And just settle yourself and give yourself mental space to say, okay, what now? Like, do I need to go for a 10 minute walk and get out of the office? Or can I just continue with everything, you know, without telling everyone in the office what you really think about them, what that person really thinks about them at the time? Yeah, that, that circuit breaker, I learned one. Um, we did calm birthing with my wife and I, um, for, for all three kids. And there was a lady here on the sunny coast. And, uh, yeah, she taught us what she called the reset breath. So it's three conscious breaths, into the nose, out through the mouth, top of the third breath, uh, hold that breath for as long as I desire, and then let that out. Uh, literally okay. like 10 seconds, man, if that. And how calm, just that 10 se- three conscious breaths and how that can change like so fast with just those yeah. three conscious breaths. And um, it was interesting because when I learned the first one, uh, I just got out of construction and I remember – I was so hardwired that just taking that time out to breathe for 10 seconds of go, 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 do, 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 do. 
And I know when I say that, every father laughs because of fatherhood guilt where all this, there's so much go, 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 do, do, do. I just want to remind all the fathers here that this could be and probably is the best thing that we could be doing for our children is to calm our nervous system, to take in some time out for ourselves and just connect with the breath. And, And like you said, man, like that I know for me when I first started it, that morning routine that I had and breathing, I used to be, I still do stretching as well. That's the first time I was doing something for myself and pretty much the rest of the next 12 hours, it was for everyone else, providing my family, my children, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I know that that fatherhood guilt, I'm like, oh, I don't have the time, I should, I should, should, should. It's like, nah, man, like calm your nervous system. <laughs> You'll be able to respond way better. Way um, better. Way better. And you won't have to pick up the pieces of the last grenade you threw into the middle of the family room. A hundred percent. Beautiful, man. Thank you for such an informative session. Um, where, what, have you co- what do you have coming up in the near future? Uh, where can people find you? Um, if people want to um, come and have a session with you with pillow breathing and um, go deeper into that, where can we find you? And um, yeah, how can people get in contact with you? So the easiest way to find me, so you don't have to spell my name, is breathgeek.com. So good. Breathgeek.com. That's a nice, easy way of doing it. I've got some new stuff I'm about to drop. I'm, I'm looking at how can I help the most people as possible. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'll be putting out a bunch of like really modestly priced programs that people can download and self-study and Amazing. all the way through to a community where people can join. And I do private coaching. I'm looking at doing an immersion next year, early next year. So like a full day. I'll teach everything I know in a day. Your head will explode, but don't worry. We'll do, we'll do some work after that as well. It'll be supported. Yeah. We're just, yep. I'm just going to pour it all in there and then we'll unpack it over, over a couple of months. Sorry, so lots of stuff one. going. You know, like this is, as I say, my attachment to breathing started when I was a baby. Yep. So now I, I've done 45 years of learning. I'm just sharing as much as I can, as quickly as I can now. Yeah, man. I'm like you. I fell in love with the breath. Our eldest child, his name's Breath. I found meditation at the age of 27 and it completely changed my life. I was such an aggressive dude and so angry. I had this biggest chip on my shoulder, so angry at the world. And yeah, the way that I was able to calm my nervous system and just actually like look at and explore these emotions was literally breathing and and in co- uh, side and side hand in hand with meditation but it was the practice of the breath and being with that that was the tool for everything else that I stacked on um so yeah thank you guys uh, we will have um uh, the, the breathgeek.com in the show notes and for thank all you. the listeners that are still here uh we we talk about footprints on the MindFit podcast, and so those footprints of is leaving the comments here on Spotify, on YouTube, or on social media, um, and leave some comments of like what really resonated from uh, from this session, from this podcast. What did you learn? What have you tried? Um, and these footprints are leaving footprints for the people that are on this journey of becoming better men, becoming better people, and just overall just being good humans. So, Adzi, dude, thank you so much for uh, being on this potty. Um, it was nice to have the reverse seats and uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you for everything you're doing, man. And I just, uh, didn't, I haven't said this to you, but I just really want to, there's so many breathwork facilitators out there, bro. And it feels like it's very saturated right now with no one really has gone out on a limb, found their own niche. And the way that you are doing it with asthma, I think it's really important because asthma affects so many young kids and adults. And I think that it's a really beautiful genre, man. And you've 
super learnt and so yeah i've learned so much on this podcast and know everyone else will but yeah just really the way you're doing it man is, is awesome man it's unique it's really yeah it, it's awesome man really really stoked for you bro appreciate that thanks boys you're welcome all right guys episode five we're out peace